is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. So the Democrats, even now, they stand with the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran. It's amazing. They stand with the regime in Iran, a terrorist state that threatens to destroy our country, to destroy Israel, to destroy the surrounding uh, Arab and Gulf states, and they stand with that regime against the President of the United States. You know, it's an amazing thing. The Democrats, these leftists, these progressives, how many times have you heard them talk about a living and breathing constitution? Oh, no, 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 look. That's an old document, you know, living and breathing. Well, you know, you know we, it's got to be modernized. And yet, when it comes to the Iran deal, you can't touch that. I'm a textualist. You can't touch that, the Iran deal, because the great Obama, the great Obama, he signed off on that, even though it violated our constitutional order. It doesn't matter. He signed off to it. We worship the great Obama. Therefore, you cannot touch the Iran deal. Now, the Constitution, well, you know. Sure, it's living and breathing. The Iran deal, no, that's it. The President of the United States was very courageous today. Now, I think, as you know, if you listen, that we should drop the deal altogether. But here's what he's done. The President of the United States said, look, Iran is a terrorist state. Iran has done enormous you know, harm to the world and seeks to do more. This is a horrendous deal in so many respects. I'm not certifying that they're complying with this deal, and I'm not certifying... This deal is in America's national security interest, given their material breaches. Now, to do otherwise, ladies and gentlemen, would have the president certify to a lie. Because he's not Chuck Schumer. He's not Nancy Pelosi. He's not these frauds. He's not willing to certify to a lie. He certified twice before, and he put a warning out there, and he said, I'm not doing it again. But for the Democrats, now we stand with Iran. Against the United States. And that's right. That's exactly what's going on here. Exactly what's going on here. They're so filled with hate for this president and so filled with a desire for power that even when he does something that's unequivocally correct, they can't take it. He's a threat. He's dangerous. They don't talk about the regime in Iran this way. No, no, we can't upset them. I mean, you know, they're going to get nukes. Well, I thought they weren't. Oh, well, I, I mean, you know, whatever. But the president's speech today was exceptional. Again, I don't agree with staying in this deal. I really think we should have dropped out. But if you're going to stay in the deal, you do exactly what he did, which is condemn that country, point out what they've done, tell Congress it needs to act. It's got 60 days to act under this process. And to either tighten up this deal and put enormous sanctions on this regime or the president has the power himself to abrogate the deal. Oh, no, he can't do that, say the Democrats, who abrogate everything. 
I want you to listen to this speech. I'm not going to play it all at once, but we broke it into three segments. And we're going to do this because it's Friday evening, I'm the cleanup hitter, and you're going to hear all kinds of propaganda, lies, demagoguery from the progressive Democrats. And this is what they do. This is who they are. And I'm sure there'll be a few progressive Republicans thrown in, too. But let's start from the beginning. Cut one, go. My fellow Americans, as President of the United States, my highest obligation is to ensure the safety and security of the American people. History has shown that the longer we ignore a threat, the more dangerous that threat becomes. For this reason, upon taking office, I've ordered a complete strategic review of our policy toward the rogue regime in Iran. That review is now complete. Today, I am announcing our strategy, along with several major steps we are taking to confront the Iranian regime's hostile actions and to ensure that Iran never, and I mean never, acquires a nuclear weapon. Our policy is based on a clear-eyed assessment of the Iranian dictatorship its sponsorship of terrorism, and its continuing aggression in the Middle East and all around the world. Iran is under the control of a fanatical regime that seized power in 1979 and forced a proud people to submit to its extremist rule. This radical regime has raided the wealth of one of the world's oldest and most vibrant nations and spread death, destruction, and chaos all around the globe. Beginning in 1979, agents of the Iranian regime illegally seized the U.S. Embassy in Tehran and held more than 60 Americans hostage during the 444 days of the crisis. The Iranian-backed terrorist group Hezbollah twice bombed our embassy in Lebanon, once in 1983 and again in 1984. Another Iranian-supported bombing killed 241 Americans. Service members they were in their barracks in Beirut in 1983. In 1996, the regime directed another bombing of American military housing in Saudi Arabia, murdering 19 Americans in cold blood. Iranian proxies provided training to operatives who were later involved in al-Qaeda's bombing of the American embassies in Kenya, Tanzania, and two years later killing 224 people and wounding more than 4,000 others. The regime harbored high-level terrorists in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, including Osama bin Laden's son. In Iraq and Afghanistan, groups supported by Iran have killed hundreds of American military personnel. The Iranian dictatorship's aggression 
continues to this day. The regime remains the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism and provides assistance to al-Qaeda, the Taliban, Hezbollah, Hamas, and other terrorist networks. It develops, deploys, and proliferates missiles that threaten American troops and our allies. It harasses American ships and threatens freedom of navigation in the Arabian Gulf and in the Red Sea. It imprisons Americans on false charges, and it launches cyber attacks against our critical infrastructure, financial system, and military. The United States is far from the only target of the Iranian dictatorship's long campaign of bloodshed. The regime violently suppresses its own citizens. It shot unarmed student protesters in the street during the Green Revolution. This regime has fueled sectarian violence in Iraq and vicious civil wars in Yemen and Syria. In Syria, the Iranian regime has supported the atrocities of Bashar al-Assad's regime and condoned Assad's use of chemical weapons against helpless civilians, including many, many children. Given the regime's murderous past and present, we should not take lightly its sinister vision for the future. The regime's two favorite chants are death to America and death to Israel. Realizing the gravity of the situation, the United States and the United Nations Security Council sought over many years to stop Iran's pursuit of nuclear weapons with a wide array of strong economic sanctions. But the previous administration lifted these sanctions just before what would have been the total collapse of the Iranian regime through the deeply controversial 2015 nuclear deal with Iran. This deal is known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA. All right. The president does a tremendous job of laying out the case against Iran. And when you listen to this, you really have to wonder how the prior administration, how the prior administration went to this regime with hat in hand and rewarded it with $150 billion. And a certain road, a certain road to ICBMs with nuclear warheads. It's just astonishing the extent to which Barack Obama sold out this country, sold out the United States of America. It's astonishing. And what's astonishing today is the extent to which the Democrat Party, his party, is in support of the sellout of America, is in support of funding the Iranian regime, is in support of effectively and indirectly arming the Iranian regime. It's incredible to me. And the fact that this deal was secured through the evisceration of Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 of the Constitution, the Treaty Clause. While the same people who supported the evisceration 
of that treaty clause in our Constitution now are all over television. They're issuing press releases talking about how you cannot decertify, you cannot reject this agreement, while they, in securing this agreement, which should have been a treaty, and as a treaty would have been soundly rejected, are now claiming that the president ought not reject what they have created. The Iranian regime has killed not hundreds, but thousands of Americans. And it seeks to kill hundreds of thousands of Americans. What do you think death to America means? And they are toppling Arab Gulf state regimes throughout the Middle East. Regimes with which we have a loose alliance. A loose alliance. Are they perfect? No country's perfect. And they're very imperfect, as a matter of fact. But it's important. It's important to the United States that Iran be controlled. But Iran is on the move. Iran is on the attack. Iran is spreading terrorism. Iran has its guns aimed at Americans. And the president laid it out beautifully. But he said a lot more. And we'll hear that when I return. Mark Lovin. Obamacare actions by the president, too, because uh, it was a very bold action he took to follow the Constitution. He's being attacked because he is. You know, we have a federal court that ruled that under Article federal court, that Obama did not have the power to order the Treasury to subsidize insurance companies. Uh, the power of the purse belongs to Congress. Obama decided to circumvent Congress, even under the Obamacare statute. He had to ask Congress for funding. Congress said no. Obama said, well, too bad. I don't care if it's unconstitutional. I don't care if I'm violating the statute. I'm ordering it. See, he should have been impeached. But you have an entire Democrat party that doesn't care. They don't care what the Constitution says. Now, when it comes to the Iran deal, uh, they care about every syllable, every dot over every I, every cross on every T. And the funny thing is, under the Iran deal... Trump can do exactly what Trump's doing, and he should have. So tonight, as I speak, the Democrat Party, officially, its leading mouthpieces, which is all of them, stand with the president of Iran, Rouhani. They stand with Khomeini. They stand with our enemies. They stand with a terrorist state. And they want you to believe... That this deal, as horrible as it is, as flawed as they are, you listen to what Cory Booker said when this thing was signed. You listen to what Dick Durbin said, look, it's imperfect, I don't like it, but I'm voting for it, but I'm voting for it. Listen to what these fools said, these party hacks, who don't give a damn about their country. That's right, I said it. Don't give a damn about their country. We're talking about a terrorist regime that says death to America, and they have every intention of proving their point. What are they building ICBMs for? Heat? Air conditioning? To strengthen their economy? No. To aim those missiles at us. And our allies. And our allies. Well, Mark, the Europeans support this. Europe has proven time and time again how stupid Europe is. Gives a damn what Europe supports. 
Last time I checked. Last time I checked. Marxism came out of Europe. Last time I checked, Nazism came out of Europe. No offense. Oh, I understand. I understand. We have a lot of our history out of Europe, too. But Europe isn't perfect. This argument all the but Europe has government-run health care. But Europe has it. Wow, that's convincing. That's convincing. All the people in Europe are losing their teeth with the yellow teeth. Oh, we got to be just like them. The countries that are being overrun by refugees. Oh, we have to be just like that. These countries that can barely defend themselves as they've eviscerated their militaries. Oh, we have to be just like them. No, we don't. And we're not. You know why? We're Americans. And our football players may go to their knees, but Americans don't go to their knees. We stand straight and straight up. So this Iranian regime tonight is backed by the Democrat Party. Their violations, well, you got to turn the other cheek. you got to close your eyes, according to the Democratic Party, including to, uh, according to the appeasers in Europe. And we have a president of the United States says, no, I'm not closing my eyes. No, I'm not turning my back because I, singularly, under the Constitution, am commander-in-chief. And I, under this crappy deal, I have responsibility for putting my foot down. Now, Congress, guess what? You have 60 days to fix this, quote-unquote. The Democrats have no intention of fixing anything. I'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. By the way, Hollywood, we haven't forgotten about you, the criminal enterprise called Hollywood. And, you know, they shouldn't have the Oscars anymore. They ought to have the Harveys. Shouldn't have the Oscars. They ought to have the Harveys. And rather than giving out the Oscar statuette, they should give out the Harvey, a pervert in a raincoat, little statues with perverts in raincoats. George Clooney, you won the Harvey Award. Just saying. All right, back to a serious man, the President of the United States. One of the reasons he's so thoroughly hated, ladies and gentlemen, is because he's undoing the disastrous uh, policies of Barack Mailhouse Benito Obama. And uh, the Democrats, hoping that Hillary would win, believing she would win, uh, they figured would be Barack Milhouse, Benito Obama's third term. And so the election of Donald Trump disrupted things. Disrupted things. You know, as I, as I think about this, and we'll get into the Obamacare issue uh, next hour, I have to say, people who hate Donald Trump on the conservative side or the Republican side are really hard for me to understand. I can I can certainly understand strong disagreements. Absolutely. But we have a president here with the Iran deal, with the appointment of Gorsuch, the evisceration of Obama-era regulations, efforts at pushing for tax cuts, what he's doing with Obamacare. I mean, does he not get kudos for these things? Does he not get any credit for this? As I say, there are things I disagree with him on. There's things that everybody disagrees with him on. And some of them strongly. 
That said, I mean, I disagree with what he's done on DACA, but then he circled back after he was criticized by constitutional conservatives, and he said, all right, I want a wall, I want a... a, a, a a, a mandatory e-verify system, and he went through the list of things that we need. Um, and there are areas I disagree with him. Always have, but he was elected president. All right, more on Trump and his speech today, which was an outstanding speech. Let me reiterate, I wish they would abrogate this deal. It is a disaster. But Congress, you have 60 days to step up to the plate. Now, you're not going to get any help from the Democrats, and they may well use the filibuster to defend their friends in Iran. And that's right. They're friends in Iran. The Democrats tonight, the Democrats tomorrow, the Democrats on the Sunday shows, the Democrats on the morning show, uh, a morning schmo show, and all the conga line of freak shows on MSLSD and CNN will be trashing Trump while defending the Iranian regime but pretending they're not defending the Iranian regime. Well, how would they fix, quote-unquote, this deal if the president didn't decertify? So they are frauds, ladies and gentlemen, absolute frauds who do not stand for this country. They absolutely don't. President today in his speech, cut to go. As I have said many times, the Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into. The same mindset that produced this deal is responsible for years of terrible trade deals that have sacrificed so many millions of jobs in our hey, country. One has nothing to do with the other, but go ahead. Of other countries. We need negotiators who will much more strongly represent America's interests. The nuclear deal threw Iran's dictatorship a political and economic lifeline, providing urgently needed relief from the intense domestic pressure the sanctions had created. Now, I want you to think about that. Barack Obama and the Europeans gave this terrorist regime Death to America, death to Israel, on and on and on. A hundred and fifty billion dollars while this regime was teetering on collapse. They saved the regime. And the Democrats today are defending this regime while pretending they're not. Do they have another way of confronting this regime? No. So they defend the regime because they believe they're defending Obama. The hell with America. Go ahead. Regime, an immediate financial boost, and over $100 billion its government could use to fund terrorism. The regime also received a massive cash settlement of $1.7 billion from the United States, a large portion of which was physically loaded onto an airplane and flown into Iran. Just imagine the sight of those huge piles of money being hauled off by the Iranians waiting at the airport for the cash. I wonder where all that money went. Worst of all, the deal allows Iran to continue developing certain elements of its nuclear program. And importantly, in just a few years, 
As key restrictions disappear, Iran can sprint towards a rapid nuclear weapons breakout. In other words, we got weak inspections in exchange for no more than a purely short-term and temporary delay in Iran's path to nuclear weapons. What is the purpose of a deal that, at best, only delays Iran's nuclear capability for a short period of time? This, as President of the United States, is unacceptable. In other countries, they think in terms of 100-year intervals, not just a few years at a time. The saddest part of the deal for the United States is that all of the money was paid up front, which is unheard of, rather than at the end of the deal when they have shown they've played by the rules. But what's done is done, and that's why we are where we are. The Iranian regime has committed multiple violations of the agreement. For example, on two separate occasions, they have exceeded the limit of 130 metric tons of heavy water. Until recently, the Iranian regime has also failed to meet our expectations in its operation of advanced centrifuges. The Iranian regime has also intimidated international inspectors into not using the full inspection authorities that the agreement calls for. Iranian officials and military leaders have repeatedly claimed they will not allow inspectors onto military sites, even though the international community suspects some of those sites were part of Iran's clandestine nuclear weapons program. There are also many people who believe that Iran is dealing with North Korea. I am going to instruct our intelligence agencies to do a thorough analysis and report back their findings beyond what they have already reviewed. By its own terms, the Iran deal was supposed to contribute to regional and international peace and security. And yet, while the United States adheres to our commitment under the deal, the Iranian regime continues to fuel conflict, terror, and turmoil throughout the Middle East and beyond. Importantly, Iran is not living up to the spirit of the deal. So today, in recognition of the increasing menace posed by Iran, and after extensive consultations with our allies, I am announcing a new strategy to address the full range of Iran's destructive actions. First, we will work with our allies to counter the regime's destabilizing activity and support for terrorist proxies in the region. Second, we will place additional sanctions on the regime to block their financing of terror. Third, we will address the regime's proliferation of missiles and weapons that threaten its neighbors' global trade and freedom of navigation. And finally, we will deny the regime all paths to a nuclear weapon. How can you oppose this? How can you oppose 
the, the policies that he has laid out here. And yet, not even after his speech, before his speech, in anticipation of this speech, the leftists, the Democrats, their surrogates are all over the media trashing Trump and trashing his decision. And you know, folks, I'm tired of giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm tired of people who parse their words when identifying this force on the left, this progressivism. Their efforts are un-American. They are standing with the Iranian regime. They can pretend that they're not. The president is giving them an opportunity to put their, uh, you know, to, to, to put their, their ideas and their arguments to the test. Well, you're, and then they pretend that by allowing the Iranians to use this deal as a fig leaf, while they go on and continue their terrorist activities and their terrorist ways and go on with their planning and their plotting and their building, that somehow that's in America's national security interest. That somehow when you reveal what they're doing, when you speak to the American people about it, when you exercise the legitimate decertification power, the 90 days certify or not, under the deal. And you ask Congress, look, you either deal with this, put sanctions in place, Change this deal, or I'm going to drop it. The president is said to be dangerous. The president is said to not understand what's going on, which is absurd. When it comes to America's national security, the Democrats are taking a knee. And when it comes, when it comes to the Iranians, they're standing and saluting. Now, my question for the Democrats is this. Do you stand with the United States of America, the American people, and our national security? Or do you stand with the enemy? Or do you stand with the enemy? It's black and white. It's that simple. This deal gives the Iranian regime cover. Cover. To advance terrorism, to advance its missile technology, to advance its nuclear technology. To continue to plot to destroy its neighbors, Arab and Jewish. Arab and Jewish. And to continue to plot with those ICBMs to build longer and longer range missiles so they can hit our cities. This is what Barack Obama has, has given us. This is what the Democratic Party has given us. This isn't the party of Franklin Roosevelt. This isn't the party of Harry Truman. This isn't the party of John Kennedy. It's not even the party of Lyndon Baines Johnson. This is the party of Saul Linsky. This is the party of George McGovern. This is the party of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Barack Obama. Radical leftists. That's what they are. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. third of the president's speech. It's just too good to break it up into all these tiny little clips. We have three hours here, and we're going to use part of the next hour to do that. I'm also going to spend time on what the president has done with Obamacare, the Obama nightmare, because the howling buffoons of the left are all over the media, howling like buffoons of the left. And we want to talk about that, too. And so tonight, ladies and gentlemen, as I speak, tomorrow... Sunday on the Sunday shows, while the 
Football players are kneeling. The uh, the leftists will be out telling you that what Obama excuse me that what Trump has done with Obamacare is a disaster, even though Trump is following what a federal court said, and Barack Obama defied a federal court, even though Trump is complying with the Constitution. These same Democrats, the buffoons of the left, who are standing with the Iranian regime. Let me repeat: the Democrats tonight, tomorrow, Sunday, and every other day. From this point forward, we'll be standing with the Iranian regime against the President of the United States and against their country. This idea that a rogue terrorist regime, which is sprinting towards the development of long-range ICBMs with nuclear warheads, that is uh, spreading terrorism, that is toppling uh, countries that surround it, that is threatening us, death to America, death to Israel, death to anybody who doesn't agree with it, Financing Hezbollah, which has sleeper cells in our own country. Hezbollah, which has killed American soldiers. The Iranian regime, which has killed American soldiers. The idea, the idea that the Democrats are going to get away with their schizophrenic arguments. Well, look, we don't agree with everything in the deal. And, of course, the Iranians are a problem. And, yes, yes, but Trump is this and Trump is that and Trump is this. Don't buy this. Trump is following the letter of the law. And he has determined rationally, reasonably, sensibly, intelligently that the deal that was cut by the appeasement regime before the Trump administration, the deal that was cut by Obama and Kerry, the deal that was cut by the Democrats when they sold out the United States, to the Iranian regime, and I might add, to the European corporatists, because they're the ones going to the bank. They're the ones going to the bank. You know, Europe doesn't support this. Well, of course not. Europe surrendered its sovereignty 50 years ago. There wouldn't be a need for NATO if Europe stood up for itself. Would there? We gotta follow Europe. We gotta follow Europe when it comes to national health care. We gotta follow Europe when it comes to the refugees. We gotta, we don't have to follow anybody. Let them follow us. And when it comes to Iran, Iran is a mortal enemy of the United States. Iran is a mortal enemy of yours and mine. And they tell us this every damn day. So we need the Democrats to interpret it for us. By the way, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, we're supposed to believe these two, these two charlatans, these two snake oil salesmen? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. When we come back, the final third of the president's speech today, it's a very, very important speech. I believe this speech will go down in history, as a matter of fact. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. This is a big deal. Big deal dealing with Iran. 
As I told you last hour, we're going to now play the final one-third of the president's historic speech, really, about Iran and decertification. Again, I think the better position would have been decertify and then drop it. But the president is saying, all right, I'm going to decertify. This is a rogue terrorist regime. They're doing rogue terrorist things. Uh, if Congress, you think you can fix this, now fix it. If Europe, you think you can fix it, okay, we want to hear from you too. But otherwise, as I understood the president, he said, I have the power, and he does, under this obama corker Cardin, uh iran deal, uh, to drop it myself. That is, to end it. So he's holding that over them. But here were his uh, final comments during his uh, speech today. Cut three, go. Today I'm also announcing several major steps my administration has taken in pursuit of this strategy. The execution of our strategy begins with the long overdue step of imposing tough sanctions on Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. The Revolutionary Guard is the Iranian Supreme Leader's corrupt personal terror force and militia. It has hijacked large portions of Iran's economy and seized massive religious endowments to fund war and terror abroad. This includes arming the Syrian dictator, supplying proxies and partners with missiles and weapons to attack civilians in the region, and even plotting to bomb a popular restaurant right here in Washington, D.C. I am authorizing the Treasury Department to further sanction the entire Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps for its support for terrorism and to apply sanctions to its officials, agents, and affiliates. I urge our allies to join us in taking strong actions to curb Iran's continued dangerous and destabilizing behavior, including thorough sanctions outside the Iran deal that target the regime's ballistic missile program in support for terrorism and all of its destructive activities, of which there are many. Finally, on the grave matter of Iran's nuclear program, since the signing of the nuclear agreement, the regime's dangerous aggression has only escalated. At the same time, it has received massive sanctions relief while continuing to develop its missiles program. Iran has also entered into lucrative business contracts with other parties to the agreement. When the agreement was finalized in 2015, Congress passed the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act to ensure that Congress's voice would be heard on the deal. Among other conditions, this law requires the president or his designee to certify that the suspension of sanctions under the deal is appropriate and proportionate to measure and other measures taken by Iran to terminate its illicit nuclear program. Based on the factual record I have put forward, I am announcing today that we cannot and will not make this certification. We will not continue down a path whose predictable conclusion is more violence, more terror, and the very real threat of Iran's nuclear breakout. That is why I am directing 
my administration to work closely with Congress and our allies to address the deal's many serious flaws so that the Iranian regime can never threaten the world with nuclear weapons. These include the deal's sunset clauses that in just a few years will eliminate key restrictions on Iran's nuclear program. The flaws in the deal also include insufficient enforcement and near-total silence on Iran's missile programs. Congress has already begun the work to address these problems. Key House and Senate leaders are drafting legislation that would amend the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act to strengthen enforcement, prevent Iran from developing an Internet — and this is so totally important — an intercontinental ballistic missile and make all restrictions on Iran's nuclear activity permanent under U.S. law. So important. I support these initiatives. However, in the event we are not able to reach a solution working with Congress and our allies, then the agreement will be terminated. It is under continuous review, and our participation can be canceled by me as President at any time. As we have seen in North Korea, the longer we ignore a threat, the worse that threat becomes. It is why we are determined that the world's leading sponsor of terrorism will never obtain nuclear weapons. In this effort, we stand in total solidarity with the Iranian regime's longest-suffering victims, its own people. The citizens of Iran have paid a heavy price for the violence and extremism of their leaders. The Iranian people long to — and they just are longing — to reclaim their country's proud history, its culture, its civilization, its cooperation with its neighbors. We hope that these new measures directed at the Iranian dictatorship will compel the government to reevaluate its pursuit of terror at the expense of its people. We hope that our actions today will help bring about a future of peace, stability, and prosperity in the Middle East, a future where sovereign nations respect each other and their own citizens. We pray for a future where young children, American and Iranian, Muslim, Christian, and Jewish, can grow up in a world free from violence, hatred, and terror. And until that blessed day comes, we will do what we must to keep America safe. Now, I thought this speech was so important, we've played the entire thing now over the course of an hour and 15 minutes. It runs, what, 17 minutes, give or take. I consider it a historic speech. A crucially important speech. There's nothing in here trashing his own country. That would be an Obama speech. But there is a political force out there that stands with the Iranian regime while pretending it doesn't. And that is one of our political parties. Our biggest political party, in fact, the Democrat Party. 
Schumer, Pelosi, all of them. All of them have issued press releases, have been on MSNBC, have been on CNN, some of them have been on Fox, they're all over the place. Network TV, how dangerous this man is, the president. How reckless this man is, the president. How is he dangerous or reckless? How is he dangerous or reckless in what he did? Because they want to persuade Democrats and liberals all across this country that there's something wrong with Trump and not something wrong with them. And there's something horribly wrong with the Democrat Party and its leadership when it sides with the Islamo-Nazi genocidal regime in Tehran that brutalizes, murders, rapes, steals from its own people, and wishes to do the same to others, including us. This is, without debate, a terrorist, rogue regime that does not honor its agreements any more than North Korea does. And say what you will about Donald Trump the tweeting and all the rest of it. The fact of the matter, fact of the matter is he's done more to stand up to North Korea and more to stand up to Iran than any recent president. Than any recent president. He's trying to deal with these life and death issues. He's trying to deal with these life and death issues. And the media want to treat this as nothing more than another political issue. The Democrats want to use it as just another case to trash him. So wedded are they to this Obama, Corker, Cardin, Iranian deal. I wish they would show such passion for the Constitution of the United States, which for the Democrats is up for grabs. It's living and breathing. But when it comes to the Iranian deal, no, 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 no. Every word. Check that. Every dot and comma is to be followed by us. Whether the Iranians follow it or not, that's irrelevant. And so now you see, ladies and gentlemen, the United States under this president is dangerous and reckless. The Democrats officially, through their leaders, through their spokesmen, through their press releases, are giving aid and comfort to the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. That is exactly what they are doing. And now, and now we're going to see their true colors. Because this matter is now before the United States Congress. And they have 60 days. 60 days to act. 60 days. And what will the Democrats do, particularly in the Senate? What will they do? Will they act to protect America? Or will they act to protect the regime in Tehran? Will they use the filibuster to protect the regime in Iran? They may well. And they need to be called out for it. Because enough is enough. I'll be right back. Statesman, I thought you might want to hear about, or at least hear from. And of course, that wouldn't be a single Democrat that I'm aware of. How about the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu? What did he think about all this? Cut four, go. 
I congratulate President Trump for his courageous decision today. He boldly confronted Iran's terrorist regime. If the Iran deal is left unchanged, one thing is absolutely certain. In a few years' time, the world's foremost terrorist regime will have an arsenal of nuclear weapons, and that's a tremendous danger for our collective future. President Trump has just created an opportunity to fix this bad deal, to roll back Iran's aggression, and to confront its criminal support of terrorism. That's why Israel embraces this opportunity, and that's why every responsible government and any person concerned with the peace and security of the world should do so as well. Amen. Amen. Well, um, the uh, Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani, attacked the Trump administration for moving unilaterally against the 2015 nuclear deal. We will continue to stick to the deal and to cooperate with the International Atomic Energy Agency, which, of course, they're not cooperating with. That's part of the U.N., within the framework of international law, he said. But if the deal's other signatories refuse to abide by their commitments, uh, Iran will not hesitate to respond. Wow, what a threat. They're going to have nukes soon enough. So what kind of threat is this? The whole idea is to prevent it, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. So we have a, a very interesting uh, dynamic going on. The Democrat Party and the left have had a bad week. But if you listen to the media, you wouldn't know it. One of their big sugar daddies, Harvey Weinstein, has been caught with his pants down, you might say. Even worse. We've had a massive cover-up in the Hollywood entertainment industry for decades. Now some guy from Amazon has been suspended with allegations there. Now there are more allegations against Ben Affleck. Now there's an allegation against George Clooney, which he denies. And it's growing and growing and growing. Jane Fonda, Hanoi Jane, as she was unaffectionately referred to decades ago. She said she heard about this a year ago, and she's ashamed of herself because she didn't do anything. Well, she should be ashamed of herself. We're ashamed of her. And a number of actors and actresses now coming out and talking about what was taking place. I still want to press, not just for an FBI investigation of Harvey Weinstein, but a special FBI sexual crimes unit focused on the Hollywood entertainment industry. Just as we might have a special antitrust division unit or a, or a group of lawyers working on a potential antitrust violation of some industry or that sort of thing. Well, here we have a different problem, don't we, ladies and gentlemen? This is no joke. I'm quite serious about it. The Attorney General of California, he's a useless left-wing hack. Useless left-wing hack. And I want to reiterate my proposal. My proposal is the end with the Oscars. Enough of the Oscars. The Oscar night, the Oscar little statues. No. For now on, it's the Harveys. The Harvey Awards. Because that's what Hollywood deserves, the Harvey Awards. And rather than the little Oscar statue and so forth, we have a little Harvey statue. Some fat slob pervert in a raincoat. That's right. And you give him out. The one of the best actor award 
getting the uh, Harvey Award. Uh, you know, that's what ha needs to happen now. That's what needs to happen. It's a big issue, this Iran deal, and I'm going to move to another big issue right now. Another action the president took. He ended Obama's illegal insurance company subsidies. I don't have anything against insurance companies per se. For the most part, they are effectively controlled by the federal government and state governments. They're not free to operate. They're not free to, to offer us any kind of uh, policy. No, no, no. They've got to go through a zillion regulators. They have to go through a zillion regulators. The policies they offer, for the most part, are policies they're required to offer. 80% of them. And so Barack Obama decided that in order to, to hold up Obamacare, which is an economic and financial impossibility, he would violate the Constitution. He would also violate the Affordable Care Act statute. And his violation of the Constitution and his violation of the statute were certified by a federal court decision that said that the President of the United States violated Article I of the Constitution, which is pretty basic about where spending and borrowing comes from. We call it Congress, specifically the House of Representatives. Moreover, the statute itself said you got to go to Congress if you want to fund, as an example, subsidies for these insurance companies. Congress said no. So Obama says, look, I don't give a damn what some judge says. I don't give a damn what anybody says. And he orders the Treasury Department to subsidize the insurance companies. I'll be back. Levin, America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. You got it, baby. In need of great talent for your business but short on time? Well, you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting, so you receive the best possible matches. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, you, my listeners, you can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N. One more time to try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. There's a federal judge, U.S. District Court Judge Rosemary Collier. And a case was brought be before uh, Rosemary Collier 
really by the House of Representatives. And this challenge was a direct challenge to Barack Obama directing the Treasury Department and the Department of Human Services to subsidize insurance companies. To subsidize insurance companies which were subsidizing lower income people in their purchase of health care. The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, the Constitution does not empower a president to order his Treasury Department to spend billions and billions and billions of dollars without congressional authority. Moreover, under the Obamacare statute, folks, Congress said no. But Obama decided yes. So he directed his Treasury Department in defiance of Article I of the Constitution and in defiance of a law named after him to pay these monies. To pay these monies. Congress did not appropriate the monies. Congress is the only source for such an appropriation, the judge wrote. No public money can be spent without such an appropriation. And yet this has continued. These subsidies have continued. And so the President of the United States said the subsidies are over. After initially signing off on them, the President last night said that's enough. The president is under attack. I just heard the news at the top of the hour. What news is it, Mr. Producer? Is it CNN? Is it our own company? I don't even know. It's network news that I hear. And, of course, they have the audio of Democrats trashing the president for taking away health care from the poor and all the rest of it. Not once did they say that this subsidy is unconstitutional. Not once did they say Congress refused to appropriate the funds. Not once did they say a federal court ruled against this subsidy. Not once did they say Barack Obama did this without any constitutional or statutory authority. It was Trump hurting the poor. Meanwhile, it won't hurt the poor. Because the other thing Trump did that we talked about is he allows individuals to get together and to create these groups and associations so they can purchase health care at a cheaper price and the insurance companies can offer them more varieties of health care policies, including policies that don't cover everything. You know, like prostate exams for women, like gynecological visits for men, you know, that sort of stuff. Because the rest of us know there's a difference between a man and a woman. The rest of us are quite familiar with the genitalia differences. And we don't really care what's between somebody's ears when we're talking about what's between their legs. That's a liberal thing. And by the way, if you notice, they're always talking about what's between the legs. Except when it comes to bathrooms. When it comes to bathrooms, we don't know what's between the legs. Or... You may think you have that between your legs, but you may think you have something else between your legs. And if you don't like what's between your legs, we will subsidize you so you can remove what's between your legs or add to what's between your legs. This is where the left has taken us. They're nuts. They're insane. Now, a federal court rules 
that Obama's actions violate the Constitution. A federal court, same court rules, that not only that, the president didn't even comply with his own statute. And on CNN and MSLSD, on the Constipated News Network, on MSLSD, and on the news that I have to hear in my ears from Network News and all the rest, it's Trump. Trump's the problem. Trump's the problem. Trump's following the Constitution. Trump's following the Obama, Corker, Cardin, Iran deal as he's unraveling the deal because the deal is a threat to the United States. A threat to the United States. I wish he had done more, but he did what he did, which is far more than most Republican presidents would do or any Democrat president would do. And rather than praising the president for following the Constitution, we keep hearing impeachment talk. So here we have a president who's complying with the Constitution, and the Democrats want to impeach him and remove him from office. And some people who are ill-informed keep throwing around the 25th Amendment to the Constitution, which is actually harder to remove a president than the impeachment clause. So the president should be impeached for complying with the Constitution. Now, this is amazing. The other day, we were told that the President of the United States is a dictator, or would-be dictator, because he said NBC should have its license pulled. Well, of course, NBC doesn't have a license. Its affiliate has licenses. Their affiliates, that is. But the President has taken no steps to violate the Constitution, no steps to harm the media, none whatsoever. Unlike Obama, who unleashed his... his uh, espionage units and forces to go after the Associated Depressed, to go after Fox News, to go after James Rosen and his elderly parents. You know, Obama actually did these things while they're unmasking names and they're using FISA to, in domestic espionage activities. But it's Trump, you see, who's endangering the Constitution. It's Trump who's reckless. It's Trump who's dangerous. Not Obama. Not the Democrat Party. Not the Iranians. No, it's Trump. Now, there's a little tiff going on before be, between my buddy Sean Hannity and Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska. Now, I endorsed Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska, and of course, as you know, he won. Not because of my endorsement. I was one of many. He was the conservative, I thought, who was running. Ben Sass not only voted to allow the Iran deal process, the process to take place, that is the Corker-Cardin process, which eviscerates Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 of the Constitution, the Treaty Clause. Ben Sass voted for that because he was part of the gaggle, part of the sheeple, part of the group think with Corker and Cardin and McConnell and all the rest of them. But he was vociferously in support of it. How do I know? Because the man called me on the phone to try and convince me that I was wrong, that this was a good process. It's the best they could do because, you know, Obama would never submit this as a treaty to the Senate anyway. And I tried to explain to the man, you know, you have your own role as a senator in the United States Senate under our Constitution. Again, Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2. And the Senate can treat it as a treaty as it should, whether the president presents it or not. The Senate doesn't have to act at the behest of the president. It can act on its own if a president seeks to circumvent the Senate and violate the Constitution and eviscerate the treaty clause. But Sass was not convinced. 
And by the time we were done, I told him, don't ever call me again. Don't ever call me again. And he hasn't, thank God. And he hasn't. But Sass and Corker and the vast majority of Republicans in the Senate who voted for this, even conservatives, they ensured that this Iran deal, whatever the Iran deal would be, whatever Obama had in mind would pass. Because rather than requiring two-thirds of the senators present, present, to ratify a treaty, it was turned on its head. It was treated as a basic a law. Therefore, the Republicans in the Senate ensured that the Democrats could use the filibuster rule to protect whatever deal that Obama came up with, because in the Corker process, the Senate and the House would have to vote to oppose the Obama deal, not to ratify it. And the senators, the Democrats, did in fact threaten to use the filibuster rule, and the Republicans only had, and could gobble together with a few Democrats, 58 votes. So they knew that they could not stop the Obama-Iran-Corker-Cardin deal. And even if they had had the 60 votes to overcome the filibuster rule, Obama would have vetoed vetoed their opposition, and they would have needed 67 votes. So they ensured, Mr. Sass ensured, and the others who voted for this process, that this deal, or any deal that Obama came up with, would go through. Now back to this little tiff between Hannity and Mr. Sass. I spoke to Sean about this. He said, I don't support pulling anybody's license. I never have and I never would, let alone a president doing it. I'm just making the point that the media are out of control. And he said more, but that's enough. Sass, of course, jumps on Hannity because Hannity is very critical of Sass. Says, you know, I'm the one who defends the Constitution, not you. Well, Mr. Sass, you don't defend the Constitution as I posted on my Facebook and Twitter sites this morning. When it comes to the treaty clause, you eviscerated it. And now precedent has been set for future rogue, radical presidents to say, I'm not going to submit this deal to the Senate for ratification. Look what happened with the Iran deal. They didn't have to do it. So I'm not going to do it. So who's damaged the Constitution more? As a matter of fact and action, Ladies and gentlemen, Donald Trump, who hasn't done anything to affect the Constitution other than voice and opinion, which I disagree with, or Mr. Sass, who actually voted, voted, along with a whole host of Republicans and Democrats, of course, to circumvent the treaty clause of the Constitution. I just want to straighten that out. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. greater threat to the First Amendment, ladies and gentlemen, free speech aspect and freedom of the press, Donald Trump or Barack Obama? Donald Trump uses words to criticize the media, and the media deserve it. I don't agree with pulling license, NBC's license. Again, there's no license to pull, but that aside, 
President of the United States is making statements. And they're attacking him. They're attacking him for his statements. The Democrat Party, through Chuck Schumer, argued for an amendment to the First Amendment that would limit free political speech by controlling how much money could be contributed for people to run ads, advocacy ads, advocacy ads. The most effective way to communicate with your fellow citizens when you have 320 million of them is through TV and radio. And so the Democrats go right for the juggler. They don't have any problem if you talk to your neighbors or something like that. Now, of course, they violate the spirit of every limitation they want to place on the rest of us, whether it's health care or whatever it is. So Chuck Schumer has proposed that. So Chuck Schumer has proposed, through the Constitution, a direct threat to our liberty and our free speech, when it matters, in particular, politics and elections. The President of the United States has never done that. Barack Obama, as President of the United States, Eric Holder, as Attorney General of the United States, two phony civil rights advocates, actually used the police powers of the federal government to surveil the Associated Press, to surveil James Rosen of Fox News and his parents, and probably a lot more that we don't know about given the fact that the prior administration had no respect, none, for individual liberty and the rule of law. So, Donald Trump never did any of that. Donald Trump hasn't done that. Yet Donald Trump is a threat to our democracy. Donald Trump is a threat to our constitutional system. The Democrats, who say this, don't even believe in our constitutional system. Unless they think they can use it, as a fig leaf to advance their progressive agenda. They're the ones attacking the Bill of Rights. Whether it's freedom of association, whether it's free political speech, whether it's freedom of the press, it's the right to bear arms, whether it's due process, whether it's the taking clause where you have a right to private property in this country. And I could go on and on and on. They abhor the Constitution the way they abhor the Declaration of Independence. And we've talked about that when Rediscovering Americanism came out. And yet it's Trump, and not just Trump, it's conservatives who threaten the very fiber of our society, of our liberties. These people are such jackasses. You know, time is running out on the Genesis warehouse clearance sale from Chamonix. You have to call right now to get double your order of Genesel free. And somebody wake up my buddy Teddy and let him know, because he loves Genesel. That's right, free. Genesel is a natural plant stem cell treatment with advanced peptides for those annoying bags and puffiness under the eyes. Plus, with Genesel's immediate effects, you'll see amazing results in less than 12 hours. Hello! Amazing results in less than 12 hours. Call now and get double your order of Genesel for free. Genesel is backed by the best customer service in the business and an ironclad, listen, 60-day, 100% money-back guarantee. But I'm not finished. Call now, and you'll get a two-month supply of the legendary Deep Firming Serum, also free. Call in the next 20 minutes and get a free two-month supply of Esotique RF. 
Chamonix's most popular wrinkle treatment free. That's four free gifts. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to www.genocell.com. Double your Genocell order. Get the Deep Firming Serum and Esotique free for a limited time. Order now and get a surprise luxury gift also free. I count five free gifts there. 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. You've heard me talk about this. Check it out, really. That's 800-SKIN-604. And, of course, the Democrat Party and the media are one and the same, are they not? The Democrat Party and the media are one and the same. Actually, the Democrat Party, the media, and Hollywood are one and the same. To hear Joe Biden go on about how disgusted he is about what took place in Hollywood is actually a joke. Joe Biden loves Bill Clinton. Joe Biden loved Ted Kennedy. Joe Biden used to... Whatever. He was very, very close to Ted Kennedy. He never had a problem with any of this stuff. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. So... The President of the United States actually complies with the Constitution. He complies with the federal court order that uh, a president is not free to authorize himself to appropriate funds to causes that he believes in. In the case of Obama, appropriated funds to subsidize Obamacare, which is an impossibility when it comes to economic or financial rationality. It is an impossibility. It is a massive Ponzi scheme, a redistribution of wealth scheme. That's why your policy costs are so high. That's why your deductions are so high. That's why you're paying so much. Okay? The reason is you're subsidizing other people for the most part. So the President of the United States is complying with the Constitution, complying with the statute, complying with the federal court order, and listen to this attack by the media. George Stephanopoulos, Charlie Rose, Savannah Guthrie, John Carl, Nancy Cordes, let's see, uh, and uh, Kristen Weckler. And represented here would be ABC, CBS, NBC, ABC, CBS, NBC again. Cut, what is it? Cut six, montage, go. President Trump's health care bombshell. The White House immediately ends insurance subsidies for poor Americans. The biggest move to undermine Obamacare yet. Democrats call it sabotage, saying it will hurt millions of working and middle class families. The Trump administration ends $7 billion in Obamacare subsidies for millions of low-income Americans. The White House says the subsidies are unlawful. Democrats call the move pointless sabotage. The president takes the health care fight into his own hands. The surprise move overnight that could dismantle key parts of Obamacare. Democrats are horrified by this move and think it will mean uh, uh, less, fewer people insured and more people paying much higher health insurance premiums 
uh, on the lower income side. President Trump often predicts the law's demise, but now he's taking a much more active role in nullifying his predecessor's signature achievement. Critics fear the twin hits could leave insurers to pull out of Obamacare's marketplaces. And derail the former president's signature domestic achievement. Did you hear, hat tip news busters, by the way, did you hear any of these so-called reporters, these phony reporters, mention a federal court decision? Did you? Not one. Not a single one of them. Did you hear any of them mention the fact that the prior president did violate the Constitution of the United States? Not one of them. Did you hear any of them mention that the prior president did in fact violate the statute itself? Not one of them. Not even worthy of a comment or a mention, let alone a discussion. Nothing. Because the ends justify the means. Is that the old communist line? The ends justify the means. And for the left, you better believe it. This is the... uh, the fraudulent media, it is a joke. They are a joke. And do they sound any differently than the demagogues in the Democrat Party? No. They don't sound any differently. I'll give you some examples. Here is Gregory Meeks, moron of New York. Cut seven, go. But a court ruled it illegal. The court ruled that there were not a, there was not appropriations for it, and that that the payments were wrong. Does he have a point? No. See, but he knows it is sabotage because they don't want to come to the table to work something out so that those issues, you know, that people may have problem with the Affordable Care Act can be fixed. So what is the effect? Does this bring you to the table? No, because what does this have the effect of doing? It just shows the heartlessness of this particular president because who's going to be victimized by it it's going to be the poor it's going to be individuals americans who here we have have a rambling moron a rambling buffoon anybody ever hear hear of medicaid is medicaid going away no medicaid spending is going through the roof what's he talking about does he even know what he's talking about of course he doesn't know what he's talking about here he's told by a real journalist about the court decision. And so he pivots that the president's actually sabotaging the Affordable Care Act. Nobody's sabotaging the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act sabotages itself. It's unsustainable. It's an impossibility. And on top of that, it's lousy. It's horrific. And so... The media, for the most part, other than that one reporter, sound exactly like the Democrats. All right, have I taken any calls? If I have, I haven't taken many. Let's take a few calls here. Jim, Queens, New York, the great WABC. Go. Mark, I just wanted to let you know that I totally agree with you about the president's speech. It will go down in history. And what I want to do now is I want to lighten things up a little bit. Have you heard the story about the private plane coming back from this Democratic conference. Now, there were five passengers on the plane, and it ran into a little trouble. And the problem is that there were only four parachutes. So right away, Chucky Schumer grabs one and says, I'm an important man. I'm the Senate minority leader. I have to live. And he jumps out. 
Next, Nancy Pelosi grabs one, says, well, I'm the House Minority Leader. I have to go, too. She goes out. Next, Elizabeth Warren says, well, you know, I'm going to be the first woman president. I have to live. And she grabs a parachute and goes out. Now there's only one parachute left to two people, Barack Obama and this little eight-year-old girl. And Obama turns to the girl and says, well, you know, young lady, I have to let you live. I can't, I can't take the last parachute. You have your whole life in front of you. And she goes, don't worry, Mr. President. Nancy Pelosi grabbed my school bag. <laughs> very, very good. Thank you. Appreciate that. That is funny. That is funny. I'll tell you what's not funny. This little man, Bob Corker, you hear the President of the United States is trying to deal with Iran, trying to deal with the Obamacare issue, the left wing is going nuts. And here he is in Politico. I want you to know what a a louse this guy is and why I've always detested him. This is the headline in Politico. By the way, when you see Republicans mentioned favorably in Politico, it means they leaked to Politico or their surrogates leaked to Politico because Politico is a left-wing site. Corker unloads on Trump for trying to castrate Tillerson. Senator Bob Corker escalated his war of words with the White House today, admonishing President Trump for what the senator called an effort to castrate the Secretary of State and actions that are pushing U.S. diplomatic efforts to the brink of World War III. I think this guy has lost his uh, marbles, this guy Corker. Mr. Producer, would you invite Mr. Corker on this program and tell them Mark Levin wants to have a legitimate, substantive discussion about your decisions, your actions, your behavior with respect to the Iran deal. And come on the show and defend them. Don't go to Politico or MSNBC or CNN or the New York Times or the Washington Post or some uh, Tennessee paper that uh, that's in your back pocket. Now, come on my show. I'll be respectful, but it's going to be tough. Because he's a tough guy. He's a tough guy, this Corker. Corker, who publicly laid into Trump earlier this week on Twitter by saying the White House had become an adult daycare center, slammed the president by saying it was undermining Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and creating scenarios in which the United States might be forced to choose between waging war on North Korea or Iran or allowing those countries to threaten the U.S. with nuclear weapons. You know, Mr. Corker, you've been in Washington a lot longer than Donald Trump has been, and you've now been chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And let me tell you something, pal. North Korea and Iran... In many respects, your fingerprints are on those failed projects, pal. Yours. Yours. And let me tell you something else, Corker. You led the evisceration of the treaty clause of the Constitution. Let me tell you something else, Corker. You paved the way for this Iran deal when you require, in essence, 67 votes to stop the Iran deal. You're a disgrace. You're a disaster. And I've always said you're a disgrace and disaster long before you got into this war of words with Trump. As a matter of fact, I have called you a disgrace and a disaster when you were kissing Trump's butt. And he was kissing yours. Figuratively. Figuratively. As for the Secretary of State, he deserves to be castrated from a policy perspective. 
This man has stood with the Palestinians against our allies, Israel. This man has undermined the President of the United States with the media. This man has undermined the President of the United States when it has come to decertifying the Iran deal, which Tillerson didn't want to do. This man is hiring one of Corker's top advisors on the Iran deal, on the Iran process, and making him Assistant Secretary of State. Corker doesn't tell you that, does he? He doesn't tell you that, does he? Corker is a snake. He's a Republican Chuck Schumer. That's what he is. And the reason why he's chosen, quote-unquote, not to run for re-election is he'd get crushed. The people of Tennessee are good people. They're smart people. And they realize that's enough of this guy, 12 years in the Senate. The hell has he done other than hand Obama his Iran deal? While trashing the treaty clause of the Constitution. Now, in the middle of the president's efforts to get Iran under control, thanks in part to Corker, now Corker trashes the president. Now, let's see how many of the lib media types are going to question Corker's sanity. Let's see how many of the lib media types are going to accuse Corker of being thin-skinned, of being immature, because Corker is firing the shots at Trump, and Corker's been firing the shots at Trump, the little fellow. And I'm no special pleader for Trump. When I agree with him, I agree with him. When I disagree with him, I disagree with him. But let me tell you something. The way the media, you know what? He's had a bad week. Trump has had a great 48 hours. And when it's come to the hurricanes, when it's come to his efforts with these natural disasters, he's been great. Why can't everybody admit that? Whomever you support in the Republican primaries, why can't you admit it? Why can't you admit it? But this guy, Corker, he wanted to be Trump's vice president. He wanted to be Trump's secretary of state. Now he's just a putz. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Corker is attacking Trump for what he says is undermining his Secretary of State, while Corker is undermining the President of the United States at a time, really, when we ought to be rallying around him and is dealing with Iran, at least, right? Corker has been such a disaster as a senator, such a disaster in foreign policy, and they make him chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. And I question whether the man is rational. I question whether the man has the temperament to be the chairman of the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee. I question whether Corker has the necessary experience, having basically been a mayor and a developer, to be chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, where you're supposed to have really specific knowledge because you're the chairman of the committee. And his defense of Tillerson, who has been a disaster as Secretary of State, an utter and complete disaster, whose Department of State is loaded with Obama holdovers, and then he's taking Corker's former top guy and giving him an assistant secretary position. 
I question Corker's qualifications, his character, his IQ, his judgment. I truly do. But there he is. You know, just about a year ago, I made a major announcement to you, right here, telling you about the upcoming launch of Levin TV. The upcoming launch of Levin TV. It's before there was even a CRTV. Well, since then, Levin TV has grown, and there is a CRTV, a network, Conservative Review TV. And CRTV has grown beyond our expectations, quite frankly. We've added a lot of programming options to provide you with a strong, independent, and pro-American television platform. And today, we have another major announcement. It's a big one. On October 30th, CRTV is launching a brand new show starring Phil Robertson. You remember him from Duck Dynasty? Called In the Woods with Phil. Now, I don't need to tell you what a great guy Phil is. He's a true patriot, wholeheartedly believes in the Constitution, always takes a strong stand for our values. He's a proud Christian. And this show will capture the best of Phil and include a fascinating mix of politics, outdoors, the Robertson family, and so forth. You can join Phil, and you can join all the rest of us. Go to CRTV.com slash ducks. That simple. Go there right now, watch the must-see trailer, and to pre-order In the Woods with Phil as part of our CRTV network, you'll also receive an amazing discount. That's CRTV.com slash ducks. And when you sign up, you get all the wonderful programming, including... Starting October 30th, In the Woods with Phil. That would be Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty. Very, very nice man. And really a wonderful addition to our CRTV enterprise. It's really your CRTV enterprise. Because without you, there is no enterprise. And trust me when I tell you, none of the hosts are taking a knee. We're all proud of the flag and we all stand for the national anthem. Can't say that about all the other networks, can you? Let's take a call, shall we? William, Albany, Oregon. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, how you doing? It's an honor to speak with you, sir. Thank you. Um, basically, I just wanted to make a quick comment. I, I don't know any parents that would want their don't want the best for their kids as far as like a, you know their future. And the fact that we got these Democrats and even these liberal Republicans in the swamp that'll they make these decisions. And, and I'm sure most of them have their own kids and their own grandkids, and it's like they don't take it into consideration when they, when they make these decisions like this Iran deal and about the future that they're leaving for, for our uh, future generation. Well, it's pretty stunning, isn't it? And the reason is these people put their careers and politics and power before everything else, everything else. Yeah, they put it before their faith, their family, their country. They really do. In my humble opinion, you you really have to have a different kind of mindset, different than the rest of us, to be a leader of the Democrat Party today, or to be, in most cases, not all, an elected Democrat. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to return with a wonderful guest. 
His name, Christopher Scalia. One of the Scalia kids. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, a proud fanatic for the Constitution. Call him now at 877-381-3811. We have as a guest Christopher Scalia. He's number eight, eight of nine Scalia children. And he has co-authored a book, Scalia Speaks, Reflections on Law, Faith, and Life Well-Lived, Speeches by His Father, Antonin Scalia. Christopher Scalia, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? It's great to be on with you tonight. I'm doing great. You know, I met your mother once, Maureen, as you know. Um, yes. <laughs> at a car dealership. She's told me this story, yeah. What a nice lady. Very nice lady. I never met your father, which is a great loss to me because I so greatly admired him. Did he ever listen to talk radio? Yes, he did. I believe he listened to you. In fact, I know he did. Um, he liked talking WMAL. WMAL in Washington, yeah. yeah that's right. Well, my All loss. Right. But, any, but anyway, Christopher, you, with your co-author Ed Whalen, who's a friend of mine, have put together a hell of a great book. And your dad's speeches. And I got the book yesterday, and I started going through these speeches, uh, which we'll get into in a moment. And, you know, I miss him very, very much. As a, as, as a justice and, and as a brilliant sort of character and so forth. But the family must really, really miss this patriarch. Can you tell us about that? Well, yes, we, we miss him very much. Uh, well, he was, he was a great father, and uh, I loved growing up with him as a father. And, and as I grew up myself and uh, became a father, I appreciated what he did more and more. Um, obviously, being a Supreme Court justice was a big deal, but managing to raise nine kids uh, and have uh, a marriage of over 50 years, even more impressive. So that, the fact that he and my mom were, you know, as a team able to do all those things, it just, just amazes me. And, you know, I miss him. Obviously, I miss him as a Supreme Court justice, but more I, I just miss him, miss being around him, miss spending time with him and hearing his stories and his jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. I bet you had a heck of a Thanksgiving, didn't you? Yeah, well, not just because of him. Keeping, as you know, there were there are nine uh, nine kids, and then um, how many how many turkeys at Thanksgiving? Nine kids. I mean, you have to have a lot of turkeys, uh, right? And don't and don't forget the grandkids. So oh not that man, everybody, yeah. So close to forty grandkids. Not that everybody would be there at once, but <sighs> yeah, I mean, it was it, it was a plethora of people. Uh, so yeah, we would have multiple turkeys. Usually one baked and then uh, one one uh, fried. All right, let's get into this book. And you got. The, I just want the audience to know uh, the title of the book of is Scalia speaks, and these these he gave dozens and dozens of speeches during the course of his career about everything. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the table of contents. So he gave speeches about everything: the arts, games, and sports, turkey hunting, and then he gave you know more serious speeches about the law and the Constitution and so forth. Do you have a favorite? I don't have a favorite. Uh... I have a set of favorites. You mentioned a couple of them, the games and sports. Uh, I love that one because it's, it's a portrait of his childhood in Queens. Um, and he describes the, you know, the, the ways he would, he would, uh, spend time growing up. 
it has a hilarious beginning. Um, he says, I am often asked, to what do I owe my athletic prowess? <laughs> and, of course, n- nobody ever asked him that question. He, he made his living sitting on a bench. So uh, he was not known as an athlete. But it, it's just a, it's a hilarious speech. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, I like the art speech very much. Uh, he delivered that one at Juilliard and um, kind of a surprising venue for him. And um, uh, it went over great. Uh, and uh, he, he Well, well tell, tell us about the, the speech he gave, which you talk about. Mm-hmm. At your high school graduation, tell us about how you introduced him, and then and then what happened. Well, uh, at my high school graduation, uh, my father was the the main speaker, and I had the honor of introducing him. And I I delivered uh, a fantastic speech, um, maybe nearly as good as as my own father's, if I say so myself. And all I had to do was was uh, say his name and welcome him to the podium. Um, so I thought I was home free, but as I said his name, you know, I don't say his first name very often. I call him dad. So when I got to his first name, I totally muffed it. I don't even remember what I called him, but it was, I got the first syllable right, but then I turned it into like a, a 12 syllable mess. Um, and, uh, I was really embarrassed. It ruined, it kind of ruined the, <laughs> the whole afternoon for me. And my father, uh, when he got up after I introduced him, he got up there and, and he, uh, he pretended to forget my name. He said, thank you very much, uh, and then looked at notes and said my mm-hmm. name. So I don't know if he was going to do that anyway or if that was kind of his way of getting back at me for flubbing his name, but uh, it, it was pretty good either way. You know, when there's audio, I often play parts of his speeches. When there's not audio, I often read from it because mm-hmm. he really is the guide star, the North Star for so many of us who um, who really – revere the Constitution, and I think, I don't think, I know that history has and future historians will write of your father as he's one of the greatest justices ever, and not just because of his brilliance, but his demeanor, his temperament, not just because of that, the way he wrote, the way he conducted himself during oral argument, absolutely Fascinating, absolutely compelling. And yet, there's another justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I won't put you on the spot. I don't happen to be a fan. But um, how is it that your father and Ruth Bader Ginsburg hit it off where they became these pals? And they were pals, right? They were very good friends. And they were good friends for decades. And uh, their spouses were good friends. Um, Obviously, they differed uh, legally and politically. Uh, but I, I think that uh, it helps that they grew up in New York around the same time. I think that helped a little bit. Um, but they both loved opera, so they had kind of the same cultural tastes. Um, both of them had spouses who were excellent cooks, and they both liked eating what their spouses cooked. That helped too. And they just loved to. They loved uh, being around each other. So they, you know, they would have uh, they would socialize often. They would go to opera together. They would um, celebrate New Year's together. Uh, they had they had a remarkable friendship. Um, they just focused on what they had in common, uh, and and even even their working relationship was fantastic. In her foreword to this collection, um, Justice Ginsburg tells a story of how they would help each other on their on their opinion drafts. If, obviously, they were usually on different sides of these opinions, but if they saw a way the other could improve the argument, even though they didn't like the argument, they would help out. So it's a testament, I think, both to their working relationship and their friendship. And your father was friendly with other justices, too, right? 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, he would go hunting, and Kagan would go hunting with him from time yeah, to time. Yeah, that's right. He took Justice Kagan hunting. Um, obviously, he was good friends with Justice Thomas. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really struck by how how much the other justices liked him. Um, I, I knew that he was fond of them, of course, but um, after he died, the justices, I really got the sense that the court was a very close family, um, more so than I had uh, expected or imagined. Um, they were just so warm and considerate to my family and especially my mother. And it, it was clear they missed my father, too. Mm-hmm. And and yet, in his opinions, his rebuke could be very stinging. And I guess they didn't take it personally. They probably said, well, that's the way Antonin writes these things, right? Well, he 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 liked to say that he attacked ideas, not people. So mm-hmm. he and it just so happens, he said, that a lot of people had very... A lot of good people had very bad ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, his his dissent could be pretty harsh, but you know, he he looked at he he criticized the ideas and the writing set forth, not not the people uh, doing that writing um, or or presenting those ideas. And I'm looking at the uh, the wide varieties we talk about these speeches you have have in your book, and you have these headings: living and learning on faith, on the law, on virtue and the public good, on heroes and friends. He gave these issues an enormous amount of thought, didn't he? And and outside of the briefs that would be submitted to the Supreme Court, obviously he did an enormous amount of reading, right? Yeah, absolutely. So he took these speeches seriously. Obviously the legal ones he took very seriously, um, and those those comprise the, the heart of this book. There are about 12 in which he did you know, delivers his his understanding of originalism and textualism. But then um, the, the speeches he delivered about faith are probably uh, the second most important set to him, and he delivered those very often um, to various audiences. There's one called The Christian is Cretan in the On Faith section. Um, that was a really important speech to him that he delivered to a lot of um, Christian organizations about the importance of, of being being basically, as St. Paul said, fools for Christ. And he would he would work he would spend a lot of time on the initial drafts, deliver the speeches, and keep refining them. So um, Ed Whalen and I, we didn't have to do a lot of editing. The, our job was the hardest part was deciding what speeches not to include because they were always they they were all so refined and and already superb. Well, Christopher Scalia, unfortunately, I'm out of time, and I want to strongly recommend this book to my audience. We've put it up on uh, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter, and it is your father, I mean, in his his best form, covering so many topics. And I know the family, I know you all miss him horribly, but the nation misses him too. I mean, we miss him not just because of his brilliance on the court, those of us who are originalists and so forth, but also his humor and the way he wrote. There's There's Never been a justice like him, and there'll never be another one like him. I want to thank you, Christopher Buck, uh, Buckley. Christopher Scalia, thank God you're not Christopher Buckley. <laughs> hey, cl- hey, say close that. enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. And Ed Whalen, you guys did a great job with this book, and I want to thank you thank for you, coming Mark. on the program. I appreciate uh, your time, Mark. Thank you so much. All right. God bless. Be well. It's a very interesting book. It's also, some of these speeches are a lot of fun. And um, the Ford by by Ginsburg is actually kind of interesting. It's a few pages long, but it is it is uh, fairly interesting. And it's it's interesting that she would do a Ford to a book like this. But I want to strongly recommend this to you. You can get it on Amazon.com. 
And uh, as I say, we're linking to it on my social sites. Weekend is the best time to get a book. The weekend is the best time to get a book, and you're going to love this book. What am I? Where am I, Mr. Producer? Oh, here am I. Yes. You know, friends, it's hard to believe that 2017 is almost over. Time doesn't stand still, so don't waste another minute. Join AMAC right now. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. It's the leading conservative voice for Americans age 50 and up, and they're resolved to continue their mission to restore America's moral compass, to make America a better place for our children, and to save America from the left. As an AMAC member, you'll also gain access to a variety of exclusive benefits and discounts that will help you save a lot of money. From car insurance and Medicare plans to discounts on hotels and car rentals and more, AMEC is the organization to join. A voice for conservatives in Washington, exceptional benefits. What's not to love about that? Join AMAC right now. Go to www.amac.us. That's www.amac.us. Or call AMAC toll free at 888 262 2006. That's 888-262-2006. The Association of Mature American Citizens. The benefits are great. The cause is even greater. Join me in joining AMAC today. Mark Lovin. Mike, quickly, Baltimore, Maryland, WCBM, our great affiliate. you got one minute. Go. Hi, uh, Mark. Thank you for the opportunity. It's a great honor. I'm actually uh, Iranian-American. I, yes, I came here about 20 years ago, 1990. Well, the guy who operated on my back is an Iranian-American, and when I said, uh, really? you're an Iranian-American, he said, no, I'm an American. Anyway, uh, go I, right ahead. I mean, <laughs> American first. You're definitely right. I mean, I, I love this country. Oh, I understand. Uh, I thank God every day for the opportunity that I, I had to come to this country because, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I, when we came here, we still political talent. We're uh, a religious minority in Iran. So right. most of my family came before the revolution because they had the opportunity, but we came here in 1995. But I just want to point out, Mark, I, I usually agree with you. I agree with all your political views. But with this, Mark, I really believe the Trump speech just unites the government in Iran. I mean, the, the most of the people in Iran hate the government. But with this agreement in place, with Trump going against it, I really honestly believe that... Let me, let me get this straight. So Trump gives a speech and he unites the government in Iran? Let, no, let me say, people with, with supporting the government. They usually don't. No, I don't think so. I think the I, I think you're... you're your fellow Iranians, I think the Iranian people are enormously bright, and they want this regime taken out. And besides, the president gave a speech that is intended to protect America from the regime in Iran. And that's his job as commander-in-chief. Thank you for your call. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute you, America the beautiful, and we're standing tall. Go.
is over, the weekend begins now. Now, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. And good night, Zelda, our beautiful, wonderful dogs. Get Al-Qaeda. Get the Taliban. Get ISIS. Get that Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. And have a great weekend. I'll see you on Monday. God bless each and every one of you.